Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The haggling over the revival of the dormant JCPOA is over, at least according to the Biden administration. For the last five months, a formula has been on the table at the Vienna talks, and it is time for political decisions in Tehran and Washington. The Khamenei regime may wish to wait a little longer for the midterm elections in the United States to make sure that Joe Biden is strong enough to carry through the deal in Congress and that Donald Trump is not coming back in 2025 to withdraw from the deal once again. But if so, recent developments may appear to work in Biden's favor. Is this the calculus as seen in American, Iranian, and other eyes? Joining us all the way from New York City to analyze this matter is Mr. Jason Brodsky, who is a policy director at the United Against the Nuclear Iran Organization. Thank you for joining us, Jason. Good to be with you. Indeed. Also joining us is Dr. Omer Javed Anfal from elsewhere here in Israel, uh, who is an Iran lecturer at Reichland University. Thank you for joining us as well, Dr. Javed Anfal. Thank you very much. It's exciting to say Dr. Javed Anfal, so I will say that more often. Uh, and, of course, welcoming uh, once again uh, our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding of the current state of play vis-a-vis the Iran nuclear program. So, uh, United Against uh, Nuclear Iran is not only Jason's organization. This is the uh, common denominator of uh, all the parties uh, in the uh, revived JCPOA uh, talks. Uh, Nobody uh, wants to see uh, nuclear Iran, uh, not even China and uh, Russia. And uh, once again, this is take it or leave it time. And as you said, this is the final and ultimate deadline until the next one um, comes around. And the uh, Biden administration uh, has made its position clear. It wants to sign. Uh, it wants uh, to have the uh, what it calls the extraneous um, activities, uh, which have to do with terrorism, uh, malign uh, actions, um, and even the uh, sanctions against the IRGC. All of that uh, should be dealt with after the JCPOA uh, has been revived and um, will be uh, obviously uh, the subject for other negotiations. But if one uh, should believe the Biden administration, even after the uh, European Union tried to mediate uh, between uh, Iran and uh, the United States, uh, they are not going uh, to uh, give in. Uh, and let the uh, uh, Iranians uh, uh, stew in their own whatever. Indeed. Well, uh, let's bring in our experts into today's discussion. Uh, I'd like to start with Mr. Brodsky. Where do you see currently uh, the the situation evolving into, considering the fact that we've found ourselves in uh, such a crossroads time and again for uh, several months now, uh, same agreement uh, seemingly since March. Uh, Is there a new reality at play? Is there some new concept within uh, uh, the high representative of the European uh, Union, uh, Josep Borrell's uh, plan or or paper, uh, something that would 
now suddenly bring the Iranians closer to making an ultimate decision? It's great to be with you, Jonathan. I think the fundamental uh, nature of the agreement uh, has remained the same. It's been the same one, a variation of the same one that's been on the table since March, really. And Iran's supreme leader to date has still not decided to uh, rejoin the accord. Uh, I think what's happening is there are some uh, members of the Iranian system who are trying to convince him to uh, rejoin, and uh, in doing so, they're trying to extract more concessions to be able to convince the supreme leader uh, to do so. And uh, Iran's response to uh, the uh, current text was due uh, overnight, and uh, it has responded to that text, uh, but it has not given a yes or a no, a clean yes or a no answer. There are additional demands. Uh, apparently, Iran has uh, doubled down on the issue of guarantees. Uh, that has made a comeback. Uh, last week, EU officials were suggesting that that had been settled, more or less. But uh, it seems that Iran is focusing on the guarantees and at the same time backing off on the safeguards probe uh, to uh, be able to extract more for itself in the process. But I don't think its demands over the safeguards probe have totally evaporated either. It could seek to uh, revive those at any given moment as well. So uh, that's the kind of game that uh, they are playing. Dr. Javed Onfal, your take on this? I think the I think Ayatollah Khamenei is acting in a very Iranian manner in that uh, you know it's in Iranian culture one of the worst things you could do is uh, to walk out of a deal uh, when you have made the deal with someone without any justification it's just not the question of uh, it's just not the question of uh, you know this being a nuclear deal in any deal in Iran if somebody walks out of a nuclear deal you want come first of all your it, it hurts your image and so if the other person comes back and says, okay, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, I want to come back in again, then you say, okay, how are you going to guarantee that you're not going to do this again? This is very Iranian, but uh, the, the guarantees that Mr. Khamenei wants are impossible. Uh, maybe in Iran they are possible because there's no democracy in Iran. But in America there is democracy. I told Khamenei, logically, I can understand him, even though I don't like him, I can understand he's saying that, look, if I come back to this deal again, you have to, I want to have a guarantee that no other U.S. president will do to me what Trump did. It's very logical. But as logical as it is, it's impossible. Biden cannot tie the hands of the American people. He cannot decide uh, what the American people will want in the future. The democracy people change their mind for better or for worse. So. This is this is the situation. Of course, there's the other issue of the uh, of the IRGC. They want the IRGC to be removed from the foreign terrorist organization. First of all, it's got nothing to do with the nuclear deal. Second of all, the Americans are saying, "Okay, you know, we'll do this. What are you going to do for us in return?" And they're saying nothing. So, of course, this makes it uh, even more difficult. The issue of the the suspicious Iranian activities, which uh, the Americans are pushing, look, um, it's this is actually the Iranian regime is at fault here. Uh, first of all, the Americans, the Obama administration decided to forgive and forget the previous the previous uh, aberrations of Iran's commitments to the NPT and what was happening in Parchin and other places. But now we see that there have been other, again, new circumstances, new incidents where Iran has been doing stuff it shouldn't be doing it. And on top of it all, 
and this is a big change from 2015, Iranian officials are publicly declaring that we have the capability to make a nuclear weapon. Well, how did you develop these capabilities? This is not something that you can just think about it in your head. You must have done some activities. So when you put these statements next to suspected Iranian activities, and Iran is now saying, no, I'm not going to give any answers, then of course uh, the Americans cannot walk away from this issue. Mr. Owen? Uh, there is another player here, and that is the IAEA. And um, the verification regime, um, of course, uh, uh, Director General Grossi uh, can make a statement uh, which could bridge uh, at least uh, part of the gap between uh, the parties. But all of that goes back to the question of whether the Iranian authorities want a deal, and then the right phrase will be found to, uh, to paper over the, the differences. Nevertheless, when we hear the school of thought, uh, both of uh, Dr. Javed Anthar and Mr. Bolsky, it seems like there is a cross-cultural disconnect between what the Iranians want and what the Americans demand. And ultimately, there is here an issue that cannot be solved unless one side succumbs to the other, which has political capital. Well, not necessarily, because... This is also a negotiation tactic, saying, well, I have another culture, I have another language, I have another emotion, um, uh, you must understand uh, my side, uh, um, honor is very important to me, respect, uh, you have to pay for your transgression, as uh, Mayor said, you walked out of the deal, now you have uh, to pay something for it. Um, Eventually, they will have to decide, do you want the deal or not? Do you want sanctions relief or not? If not, stop uh, giving us a hassle. Uh, we, the Biden administration, don't want to follow in Trump's footsteps. We are against what he has done, but enough is enough. So let's uh, simple down. Uh, as much as possible, the next question, and uh, it goes to you, Mr. Bolsky. Do the Iranians truly want to have a deal in your perspective? Uh, I think Iran's supreme leader is only interested in a deal on his own maximalist terms. Uh, that uh, has been uh, apparent uh, over the last year or so. He's been trying to uh, leverage and load up the deal with as many uh, concessions as he can uh, to uh, produce a shorter and weaker deal for uh, the United States and the E3 and his own stronger uh, agreement. So uh, I think he would be willing to take a deal, but it has to meet his red lines. But if it doesn't, then they won't. Dr. Javed Anfal, your take on this? I think another aspect that we have to look into, uh, another question that has to be answered is also, is the question of uh, the new new geopolitical developments vis-a-vis -vis US and Ukraine and China and Taiwan. And what I think is that uh, the Chinese and the Russians now need another proto-North Korea, something in the case of North Korea. Maybe nuclear, maybe not, but something that's going to continuously manufacture crisis for the Americans so that the Americans are have to deal with that instead of with what China is doing to Taiwan and what the Russians are doing to Ukraine. 
Well, we see that the Chinese, they, they never put too much pressure on the North Koreans, because even though North Korea had nuclear weapons, why? Because the North Koreans sap, sap a lot of energy, American energy resources in, uh, in Southeast Asia. So that leaves less to deal with China. Now the, the Russians need something similar because now they're in Ukraine. Unless I'm mistaken, even Putin recently met with the head of the North, Kore North Korean regime. I have to double check that. But this is something that's in the interest. That you, and this is something that I think encourages Ayatollah Khamenei because he actually sees the Chinese and the Russians Lo and behold, for the first time, they really do need him. This is the first time they actually really do need him. The Russians, you know, we saw for many years, the Russians were very happy watching Israeli planes, according to foreign newspapers, bomb Iranian positions, and the Russians doing nothing. But they still actually do nothing. But the, the, for the first time, the Russians are now coming and saying to the Iranians, look, we need your help with the UAVs, with the drones. And the Chinese, I think, are very much, they want America's attention pulled away from Taiwan. And Iran is the perfect case. And America and Ayatollah Khamenei realizes this, which is why I think he believes that he will be given, provided with extra oxygen tanks so he can keep his head, uh, Iranian economy, below the water level and keep it down there without the need to come up to, to breathe air. This, this crisis, he's hoping, will get the Russian, convince the Russians and, and Chinese to give him more oxygen tanks, and they may very well do that. The question is, will that save Iran's position ultimately? No, but I don't think Ayatollah Khamenei is thinking that far. Very interesting indeed, Mr. Oren. Historical calculus uh, in which rationale uh, would dictate that Russia would never want to see a nuclear-armed Iran. Is that something that should be reconsidered? No, because um, Russia, as a signatory to the NPT, um, has committed not to help uh, any non-nuclear power get uh, nuclear weapons. And as a signatory to the UN Charter, it also committed not to they invade Ukraine. They don't need Russian help. Yes. The but Russians I've, don't need Russian help. Well, uh, it, it does not seem to be in Russia's interest to have so close to its borders, what it calls the near abroad, um, nuclear power in Kazakhstan, in Belarus, in Ukraine, or in Iran. Um, and uh, or they know that if Iran has it, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates uh, will also aspire to it. So for the Russians, it doesn't make sense. And uh, you remember that years ago, they um, offered to take the uh, uranium uh, into their own uh, uh, reactors uh, as a deposit. Uh, and maybe they will come up with, with some uh, mediation, some uh, uh, offer to, uh, to bridge the gap and get some uh, diplomatic uh, uh, bonus uh, out of it. But what the Iranians really need is a guarantee not regarding the sanctions relief or the deal. They want a guarantee that the regime will not be attacked, will not be undermined, will not be subverted. If there are secret undertakings between the Americans and the Iranians that <coughs> the Americans will not try to encourage the resistance to the regime, this may help and they may even get there across the line.
Indeed. Uh, Mr. Bolotsky, I'd like to hear uh, your insight on this, especially with regard to, you know, when, when sands are shifting or if we look holistically, when icebergs are shifting, uh, is this going to have impact on uh, the, the perspective of China and Russia uh, into the calculus? So of course, being members of the P5 plus one, they, they have significant input and uh, should uh, partake in ensuring that uh, a revived JCPOA does indeed have some teeth, even though the comprehensive part is uh, in question. Do you see this a true uh, shift of reality, if you will? Uh, I think the uh, at the end of the day, Russia and China don't want to see Iran uh, go nuclear. Uh, but uh, I think uh, particularly after the Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, Russia has been uh, less helpful, uh, in my opinion, in terms of bridging gaps, maybe than it once was uh, uh, during the original negotiations. And uh, also, Russia sees itself as uh, yes, the vic- as really uh, the subject of a ma- of its own maximum pressure campaign that's gearing up against it. And Iran stands to be uh, rele- receive sanctions relief uh, and uh, end a maximum pressure campaign against Tehran. So uh, this changing dynamic uh, has uh, impacted, I guess, how helpful they are on certain subjects. Uh, as it relates to China, uh, I think uh, China is uh, going to continue to be a partner of Iran, but it also has, uh, it's going to balance its interest and have partners with uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, the United Arab Emirates. And uh, But uh, I think that Russia and China want to keep the United States fundamentally distracted by Iran. Uh, and uh, that's why at the end of the day, they are not going to be uh, helpful uh, with uh, the full range of Iran's malign conduct. Dr. Javed Anfar, if hypothetically the JCPOA fails in, in the attempts uh, by the P5 plus one to revive it, uh, do you see, uh, of course, Russia would ultimately not comply with any sanctions or uh, any other Western measures, but uh, would you see China partake in uh, any sanctions or, or uh, global measures with regard to constraining uh, Iran, considering the fact that uh, there are severe allegations uh, and uh, plenty of proof also, uh, unfortunately, of breaches that have taken place since 2015 uh, with regard to the, the, or since 2018, excuse me, with regard to sanctions that were reimposed by the United States? The answer is, uh, depends on what President Biden does. If President Biden suddenly, he hasn't gone after the Chinese purchase of Iranian oil. If President Biden, metaphorically speaking, shows his teeth and, you know, that he means business now, then the Chinese would stop it. Um, And that would be a huge blow. There's, of course, the other issue of uh, important but less of uh, some people in the UAE who are still doing business with Iran. The Americans, some of them are going after them. But if the Americans really knuckle down, if, of course, if the talks break down and go after the First the Chinese and then the UAE business people who are doing business with Iran, then I think Ayatollah Khamenei is going to be in hot water. Mr. Owen? Well, the question that uh, Mayor perhaps uh, and maybe Jason uh, would answer um, in a better uh, fashion is whether uh, what we all remember as the historical president of uh, Khomeini and the poison. Um, All of a sudden, even though Iraq was the aggressor, 
even after all the casualties that Iran suffered, eventually, after eight years, Khomeini came down for a ceasefire, for an agreement to end the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, now, if Khamenei wants to uh, hang onto a president, of course, he can uh, cite it. The question is, um, is it really, um, there, is there a parallel here? Uh, and would he want to, to use it? Mr. Bolotsky? I don't sense that uh, Iran's supreme leader right now is under any kind of uh, that sort of pressure that Khomeini was uh, under. Uh, right now, you have sanctions, uh, as Mayor mentioned, that are not being enforced or being enforced in a piecemeal fashion. Uh, you have, uh, there. There lacks to, there's lacking an international consensus and coalition against Iran. Iran doesn't fear a credible military threat to its regime, and uh, it right now is complacent, and that's why it keeps these negotiations going, keeps asking for demands, and that's why Khamenei hasn't agreed right now. So the, the degree of pressure, even compared to 2013 to 15, when the original negotiations took place, uh, is lacking, and that's why these negotiations have dragged on, in my view, for some time. Dr. Javad Anfal, for a long time you have been uh, uh, of the opinion that the Iranians have not yet made a decision to pursue a nuclear weapon. At what point do you think that such a decision would be made? No, no, to make a nuclear weapon. I mean, they've, they've done research into the military aspects. Right, no, obviously. To, to put together. Look, Jonathan, there's something else that's going on here that we should also take into consideration. Um, one of the top secret issue, uh, uh, subjects in Iran, uh, apart from where they're hiding their uh, illegal parts of the nuclear weapons, is who is going to succeed Khamenei. This is top secret. Anyone can tell you that they know who is going to succeed Khamenei, they are lying. They don't know. Or there's a, even like there's three or four people in Iran who know about this, top secret. So recently, uh, Mir Hossein Musavi Khamenei, whose surname is also Khamenei, not Khamenei, but Khamenei, he comes from the same city as Khamenei's father, the former head of the Green Movement in Iran, said, warned about Mujtaba Khamenei, the son of Khamenei taking over the topic. He warned, he didn't say that's going to happen, but he warned about the scenario. Now, is that, first of all, that is one indication that we've had for the first time. It's not official, but it's one indication. The other indication is that they have been, although it may be related or not, I don't know, but makes me think, they've been re re calling Khamenei Imam. Now, what is that? Why is that important? Because in Shia religion, it's the Imam's son who can take over. Imam Ali's sons, Hassan, Hussein, etc., etc., all the way to the to Imam Mahdi. So when you put these two together, you think, okay, now there's the possible scenario, possible scenario, that you have Mujtaba, who's not an Ayatollah, who's not even a Hujjatul Islam, and also, who wants to do something that was that that's something that could happen that happened on the monarchy system, which the regime overthrew, which was to pass on leadership from father to son. If this is a scenario that once Khamenei wants to repeat and carry out on something that's very controversial, then I think that would also impact his decision making regarding the nuclear program. 
Mr. Blotsky, would you agree? I see you're shaking your head in acquiescence, but nevertheless, uh, are religious fatwas being put in place in order to establish some religious foundation for the possibility of transition uh, of power from father to son? And to what degree would the regime, which obviously is contested by various organizations, uh, security organizations for that matter in the country, uh, able to bring about such a transition? Uh, I agree with Mayer's points. I would say that uh, there has been conventional wisdom that uh, Ibrahim Raisi would be Khamenei's successor because he's president and he uh, would transition to the supreme leadership just like Khamenei did. Uh, Ibrahim Raisi on paper in terms of resume is one of the more qualified people in the Nizam to succeed Khamenei because he, unlike any other person, has presided over two branches of government, the judiciary and the presidency. But uh, Moshtaba Khamenei has been lurking uh, under the radar for a long time. He's a very powerful operative in his father's office. Uh, he, according to the U.S. government, when he was sanctioned, um, Ayatollah Khamenei has already uh, transferred some of his leadership responsibilities to Moshtaba, and I think that that's very important. Uh, and so I think that what potentially is happening is given Raisi's rough first year, he's under fire from a lot of conservatives right now, people who were uh, part of, who were former supporters. Uh, so right now, I think that uh, Raisi was installed as president, uh, potentially as a safe placeholder to make the way to transition to a Moshtaba supreme leadership. That is definitely possible. Indeed. Dr. Javed Anfal, I'd like to quickly turn to you as we don't have very much time left. Uh, how would uh, the regime then play out its cards? Would it abide by such an international agreement uh, uh, with regard to its nuclear uh, capabilities, or would it then reform, so to speak, uh, uh, in the bad sense, uh, uh, its uh, uh, capacity to pursue a nuclear weapon? What do you mean, if they, if they return to the JCPOA? Indeed. Yes, I think they would abide by it. I think they would abide by it, certainly. I think, again, this would not be an easy decision Jonathan, last time Khamenei agreed to the 2015 decision, there were so many people, especially our former Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Netanyahu, I hope he remains former, saying that, oh, this was an easy deal for the Iranians, it was not an easy deal for Khamenei. And if he comes back in again, it's not going to be easy, and I think it's not going to be an easy decision, but uh, I think they would keep it. But in all honesty, uh, I don't think he's going to come back, and I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think the Iranians are going to say no, and uh, just as in July 2000, uh, July 1987, when the ceasefire offer was given to Iran and Khomeini said no, and then Iran took massive hits. So a year later, he had to come and drink the chalice of poison. If I, I tell Khamenei, he's probably going to say no. And later on, he's going to find out that the Chinese and the Russians are not uh, going to rescue him. And either he or his son or whoever is going to re replace him may have to uh, take that chalice out of the cupboard again. Indeed. Mr. Owen, closing sentence. The, the last time Iran broke its pledges was in the transition from the Shah to Khomeini. Within the regime, they have kept their agreement. Well, time will tell, of course, and uh, reality may dictate that uh, uh, prediction. But uh, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Mr. Bolsky, uh, Dr. Javed Anfar, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. 
For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.